0: Shabbat Shalom. This is Rabbi Tama Davis-Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you a special message today entitled, And a Man Will Lead His Father. And this lesson is going to look at the Jewish uh, process of getting married or wedding and the process of salvation. So let's get going here today we're going to look at marriage in a way that will probably be new to most if not all of you we're going to explore this concept from the very beginning starting with genesis two fourteen which says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh now before we get to the specifics I want to review the Jewish context of marriage and the associated customs, and this is the only way you're going to fully understand this teaching. In biblical times, the first step was taken by the man or the head of his family. This is already very different from what we often see today in our own society. The couple's families usually made the marriage arrangement as well. Indeed, God the Father took a wife for Adam from Adam's side. In the case of Hagar, who was banished to the desert along with Ishmael, she, as the head, chose a wife for her son. There was no one else available. Isaac, on the other hand, was forty years old and was quite capable of choosing his own wife. Yet Abraham sent his servant to Haran to seek a wife for Isaac, giving the strict orders that the wife not be a Canaanite and she must leave her home to live with Isaac in the promised land. These restrictions were based on God's commands. Under no circumstances was Isaac to return to Haran to live according to their former way of life. After all, God had called them out of that land to a higher plane of existence. And there's a lesson for us here. We are not to return to our old religions, ways of life, and habits once we have been called out to learn and pursue the truth of God's Torah. Abraham's servant found the Lord's direction in his choice arrangements were made with rivka or rebecca's mother and brother he sealed the agreement by giving gifts which is a dowry to them and to rivka finally they sought rivka's own consent and it's important to note that the husband or the family paid a bride price to the father of the bride to seal the marriage agreement the bride price was not always given in money it could have been clothing or some other valuable item the giving of a bride price did not indicate that the wife had been sold to the husband and was his property. It was the realization of the worth of the daughter. At times the groom or his family gave gifts to the bride also. And sometimes the bride's father also gave her a wedding gift, as Kayla or Caleb or Caliph did. The feast was an important part of the ceremony. It could be given by either the bride's or the groom's family. Both the bride and groom had attendants to serve them. If it were a royal wedding, the bride gave her attendance to her husband to add to the glory of his court. Even though the bride would adorn herself with jewels and beautiful clothing, the groom was the center of attention. The psalmist focused not on the bride as modern Westerners do, but on the bridegroom as being happy and radiant on the wedding day. In other Near Eastern nations, the groom went to live with the bride's family, but in Israel, the bride went to her husband's home and become part of his family. I hope you can see where I'm going here. The right of inheritance followed the male. If an Israelite had only daughters and wanted to preserve his family inheritance, his daughters had to marry within the tribe because the inheritance could not be transferred to another tribe. One of the most important aspects of the marriage celebration was the pronouncement of God's blessing upon the union. And this is why Isaac blessed Jacob before sending him to Haran to seek a wife. Both families were involved in planning the ceremony. The bride's family also assumed the responsibility for keeping evidence that she was a virgin on the wedding day in case her husband had maligned her. Many other customs developed through time, but what I've explained here will suffice as a background to the crux of this teaching. We can now take these customs and apply them to the first arranged marriage that has yet to take place. This is the marriage of Yeshua to Israel, not the church. I'm talking Israel here. Israel does not mean geographical Israel. It means Israel as all true believers. And a true believer is defined by Yeshua himself in Romans chapters 2 and 3, in John chapter 14, and in Revelation. Right away Christians will argue that the church is or will be the bride of Christ, as they say. However, the entire Bible has no such word as church. Church comes from the word serki, which means circular or sun worship. It's argued that the word church comes from ecclesia, but the word ecclesia means called out ones. These called out ones in the Bible are the messianic community called out by God through Yeshua's ministry. Messianic Judaism is the faith system taught by Yeshua to Shaul or Paul and his disciples. The entire Bible is the history, present, past, and future of Israel, not the church. Israel is the term used for all true believers, as I said, described by Yeshua seven times in Revelation alone. It's not simply one who professes Yeshua, but one who trusts in his faithfulness, that's found in Romans chapter three, twenty-five, and guards the commands of God, meaning one who obeys the commands, statutes, and regulations of the Bible. In Exodus 19:5, God says, If you will pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you will be a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. This is a true believer. This is all very important when one considers who the bride of Yeshua is going to be, especially if we want to be included in the marriage supper described in Revelation as well. In Genesis 2, we read that a man shall leave his father and mother. Yeshua had to leave his father. And the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is a female aspect of the Godhead, when he became God incarnate. The Ruach, or Holy Spirit, is this feminine aspect of God. In one of the most integral volumes of books in Judaism, called the Zohar, which means bright, identifies the Supernal Mother as the Word of God and the Supernal Father as Lord. Indeed, Yahweh Yeshua, God and Yeshua are one, not a trinity. Indeed, in the beginning man was created in the image of God, incorporating both male and female characteristics. You can see this uh, simply by talking about estrogen and testosterone. Men and women have both. It wasn't until Eve was taken from the side of man that male and female became two separate beings. Take note here that these two were Adam and Eve, and not Adam and Steve or George. Think about it. The Spirit walks along beside us and guides us and nurtures us. Remember when Yeshua told the disciples that the Comforter could not come until he went back to heaven? This was the Ruach, the Holy Spirit. He could not send the Ruach until he returned to his father's house. So, first we have our Heavenly Father, the Lord, who chose a bride for Yeshua, who will be Israel. Yeshua then left his father and mother, so to speak, for a time to assume the role of the Passover, the Paschal Lamb, and wooing bow to Israel. Of course, the potential bride must be courted. Going back to Genesis 2.23, we read, And she shall be called woman. Again, referring back to the Zohar, this creation is the pride of the house, who surpasses all other women. This one is perfect in all points, and alone merits the title of woman every word is inspired by love the male leaving his father and mother and cleaving to the wife as one flesh serves to draw her closer in a unified mission with her husband the book of hosea is written to the northern kingdom of israel also called ephraim after its largest tribe and as we'll discuss in a few minutes ephraim consists of the ten tribes of israel which were dispersed throughout the world although he had some time of prosperity and wealth they were soon to become exiled due to spiritual corruption and moral degradation." Sounds a lot like our country in the United States, doesn't it? Hosea, Joshua, and Yeshua are all derived from the same Hebrew root word, Hosea meaning salvation. Yeshua means God saves. As God's messenger, Hosea repeatedly echoes his threefold message. God abhors the sins of His people. Judgment is certain but his loyalty to his future bride Israel stands firm. In Hosea 3, 14, 1, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her unto the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. In 16, it says, And it shall be that day, saith the Lord, that shall call me Ishi, which means husband, and shall call me no more Baali. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. That's verse 19. At some point, the potential bride must then accept or reject the man's proposal. In Exodus 19.8, when the people of Israel were given the conditions for a lasting relationship with God, they said in one voice, everything Adonai has said we will do in exodus twenty four seven moshe took the book of the covenant and read it aloud so the people could hear and they responded everything that adonai has spoken we will do and obey next there has to be a house prepared by the father for the son and his bride this of course is being prepared right now in heaven yeshua says in john fourteen two in my father's house are many places to live if there weren't i would have told you because i am going there to prepare a place for you i will return to take you with me so that where i am you may be also he then identifies himself as god in the verses that follow then the bride price had to be paid and what a price it was to be the bridegroom sacrificed himself paying for sins he did not commit that his potential bride could number many through reconciliation through him to his father and this was not a magic eraser for future sins or a license for a life contrary to torah but an assuming of the death indictment that would have been carried out on us all for our sins up to the time we trust in his faithfulness on the execution stake. No bride price before or since has been so great, so unselfish, paid so willingly with such love. Next comes a great feast. The groom goes to gather his beloved to marry her and take her to his father's house to begin a new life. Again, we see this beautifully illustrated in the anthology of Israel and her betrothal to Yeshua. This is in the Bible. In the Jewish tradition, the son does not know when the father will tell him when the house is ready and when he can go to get his betrothed. Yeshua tells his future bride Israel the same thing. Occupy until I come. Luke 12:35. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit, like people waiting for their master's return after a wedding feast so that when he comes and knocks they will open the door for him without delay and verse forty goes on to say the son of man will come when you are not expecting him finally in matthew twenty four thirty six it reads but when that day and hour will come no one knows not the angels in heaven not the son only the father why do we have such a hard time believing that why are there so many people who claim to be biblical scholars and prophets trying to guess what day Yeshua is going to return in hopes of getting uh, accolades for their so-called knowledge. This passage illustrates a perfectly consistent analogy, a perfect Jewish wedding. According to the Bible, we find an interesting law that would seem contradictory to the other parts of the Bible, addressing the marriage relationship between God and Israel and Yeshua Israel. After all, a woman must be a virgin and a man cannot remarry an adulterous wife. Israel was originally married to God, but fornicated against him, resulting in God divorcing her for a time. Before we go into the supporting scriptures, I need to explain that Israel and Judah, which are both mentioned, are not synonymous, and Judah was not divorced. In other words, Judah is the wife of God still. Israel, who was divorced by God, will be taken back by God through becoming the bride of Yeshua. Again, remember, Yahweh Yeshua is one. She will be reconciled to God through Yeshua for her past sins, just as we are when we repent and start our Torah walk with God. That's in Romans 3.25 and 2 Peter 1.9, by the way. In these verses, we see that God does not promise to remarry Israel, but instead will give Israel to Yeshua as a bride when she repents, as stated in Joel 3.5, 4.1 and 2, and Hosea 14.1 through 9. I can understand that Israel are the ten lost tribes and their fellow travelers. Judah and Benjamin, who are the other two tribes, and the Levites, who were not a tribe then but will will be one in the future, did not commit spiritual adultery. Gentiles or non-Jews who want to be a part of Israel as the bride of Yeshua will have to partake of the covenants of Israel to be included, and that means following the Father's house rules, not those of Christianity or any other religion. This means God's Torah, observance. This means obeying the contract as between a wife and a husband. Isaiah 56, 6 reads, and the foreigners who join themselves to Adonai to serve him, to love the name of Adonai and to be his workers, all who keep Shabbat and do not profane it, such as the Catholic Church has, and hold fast to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. He who gathers Israel's exiles, there are yet others I will gather besides those gathered already. Now, it's interesting to see Shabbat mentioned twice in this passage alone. It is no light matter when we fail to observe God's Shabbat or Sabbath and choose our own day such as the Catholic Church did on Sunday and Protestantism in general. Look at Exodus 31:12. We read, you are to observe my Shabbats for this is a sign between me and you through all your generations, so that you will know that I am Adonai who sets you apart for me. Therefore you are to keep my Shabbat, because it is set apart for you. So here we have a ketubah, a marriage contract between Israel and God, before Israel committed adultery with paganistic behavior and beliefs. The tribe of Judah, which also contains Benjamin, have been faithful to preserve God's Torah, and they have essentially remained intact. They were not dispersed as the other ten tribes. They were not divorced by God. God explains that he will join Judah and Israel together in the future. So we have the head of the household, Lord, God, picking the bride, Israel, and the sign that sets her apart is her obedience to God's commands, including Shabbat. Israel accepted, as we discussed in Exodus 24, 7, promising to do and hear all of the rules of the father's house, the commands, and regulations. The bride price was paid with Yeshua's sacrifice. The house is being prepared by the father, while the son is still with the father. The bride is readying herself for the wedding and the feast, the exact day unknown to her. Instructions for preparing herself have been given in writing in the book known, of course, as the Torah, God's Torah, the Bible. Now, you would think that if one considered themselves a future bride, especially for Yeshua, one would be very diligent in not reading the instructions and incorporating them into their lives, but also studying about the wife of God, Judah, and the type of life she leads. It should not be surprising that her life follows the same instructions given to the future bride of Yeshua. Remember, and they shall become one flesh. Talk about a unified effort no room for rebellious attitudes in this very real biblical scenario listen hosea one this book speaks in its entirety of the redeeming love between god and israel as it addresses the ten northern tribes as i mentioned earlier in this message now i hope that those who have heard this lesson and consider themselves to be true believers in and on yeshua's faithfulness and god's commands are diligently studying the torah and integrating every possible command, mandate, regulation, and attitude that can be followed in our day into their lives and teaching the same to their children as commanded in Deuteronomy 6.4. There is no way around it, folks. All you have to do is get your head out of your cell phone screen, stop twittering and texting, and read the current events of our world to see that the wedding day is near. Lay the paper aside, the Bible, and compare it to what's happening. Scary for those who haven't a clue about God and his plans for this world in our lives. Exciting for those who are preparing for the ultimate marriage. Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is in Revelation 19.9. We talk about a reality series. We should be watching this one and preparing for our wedding. Just as the newly wedded couple spends seven days in the bridal chamber, those who are raptured will spend seven years with Yeshua in heaven, before coming down with him for the final battle. It's in Revelation 19.16. This time frame can be exegetically deduced from the fact that the Bible supports a pre-wrath rapture and the tribulation lasts seven years in total. If humans put a third as much time in preparation in preparing for this wedding ceremony as they do for weddings on this earth, we would see a ton of Torah-slash-Biblical scholars. God, if that were the only case. Finally, John reveals to us in Revelation 21:9, One of the seven angels, having the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, approached me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then in verse 27, the bride is identified. Nothing impure can enter it, that's Jerusalem, nor anyone who does shameful things or lies. The only ones who may enter are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Prepare yourselves for your groom, dear people. The wedding will soon be forthcoming. Revelation 19:7. John speaks of the prophetic vision, with the scene being the ushering in of God's reign, and it says, Then I heard what sounded like the roar of a huge crowd, like the sound of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, Adonai, God of heaven's armies has begun to reign. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us give him glory. For the time has come for the wedding of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Fine linen, bright and clean, has been given to her to wear. In other words, these are those people who have repented and have taken on the yoke of God's Torah, not the traditions of men, not the oral Torah. Do not allow yourselves to be disillusioned with a non-accountability, easy system of religion rampant today in Christianity. Repent of your past sins put your trust in yeshua's faithfulness and start living by the standards set forth by his house for he will remain as faithful to his bride as he always was and always will be there will be no second chances according to revelation twenty one eight shalom vebrachas may god bless you